Hey there, it's Zachary checking in. It's been a while since I recorded anything, so apologies for the delay. It's um, trying to get set up in my new life here in Crown Heights. It's, uh, it is going, it's going, dealing with a lot of dumb first world problems nonsense. Um, and in fact, that's what my latest uh, little essay is about. Um, it's called Wicked Child. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I don't know how it's going to go exactly, but let's let's give it a shot and, and see what we make of it. Um, so the preamble is that I've moved over to Substack. So it's ZacharyThatcher.substack.com. And if you don't know how to spell my name by now, um, I don't know what to tell you. It's a... Uh, it's not the easiest last name, T-H-A-C-H-E-R. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Wicked Child, learning to work with my hands after a life at the keyboard. All right, so this is true. This is how I start here. And it's by saying, I've been wanting to tell you something, to write, to podcast something, for what feels like years now. But I haven't had that much to share, honestly. Since moving to Crown Heights just as the vaccine started to proliferate, my life has become hermetic in the blankness of work from home. Pale walls gather and release sunlight. No kids or pets race underfoot to trip up my time. After a roaring childhood, a quiet house to myself with wool rugs and muted furnishings is like a comforter in a winter bedroom. But I have to be careful. With too much quiet, the tidy rooms and quiet hallways become a minimalist mid-century modern coffin. It's like being buried at home. I sit at my laptop in a room with ivory walls. I move to the office for a video call and then back to the alabaster breakfast counter. Spare walls and filtered sun create a silent white wash, the same color Jews wear at our story's end. So this is a little uh, parenthetical to explain some of the Jewish stuff. A kittle is a white robe that Jewish men wear at major holidays, at our wedding, and then when we die and yeah you wear your death shroud throughout your adult life it's very punk rock so that's the whiteness so we have the white other cultures have white as a color of death in vietnam i'm sure many many other places but uh this is how we do it and along with all this visual blankness is silence i'm one of those unlucky people who find music distracting when i work so i sit in my silent house working on my laptop to coax a handful of digits to rise and regrettably diminish on my bank's website, at home, alone. We should have seen it coming, right? For well-educated, vaguely upper-middle-class, usually white folk born from middle-class white folk, working at our laptop is our teleology. It's our ends. Being tethered to an internet-connected computer is how it was always supposed to wind up. And by internet, I mean everything. If you're in publishing, academia, design, the arts, finance, marketing, communications, many forms of the law, photography, gaming, genomics, psychotherapy, you get it. If you're making money in the modern economy, more often than not, you're sitting at a Wi-Fi-enabled laptop. And laptops are designed for one person, you. If you've gone to a more selective school and ended it with a pat on the head and a badge on the wall, then the hardest thing you'll ever have to do with your hands is make a sandwich. And with indentured gig workers with no benefits, literally sweating it out to deliver your food, not even that. So really the point here is that 
I'm bred for physical uselessness. Most of us are like this now. For me, I sit at a white breakfast bar and look at a gray laptop. I turn to the white patio doors that lead into a green backyard crowded with weeds, and I wonder what it would be like to be outside and away from my laptop. If you've been following any of my writing or podcasts, or if you've met me, you might notice, if I like to congratulate myself, that I'm a little feral. My father is a farm boy from the Connecticut River Valley. He picked wrapper leaf tobacco at age 11. Darting along rafters, scores of feet in the air, and steeple-roof tobacco barns you can still see on the side of the road. There were no ropes or safety equipment. Just as a little aside, what this means is that they still grow tobacco in the Connecticut River Valley, which is like where uh, UMass Amherst and all those colleges and Springfield and Hartford and all these places are. And that tobacco is used as a wrapper around the cigar. The cigar tobacco itself still comes from like the Dominican Republic, places like that. Anyways, young kids, probably mostly boys, uh, would pick it and then you have to hang it from rafters, uh, not too close, so it dries. And uh, anyways, no safety equipment. That was my dad's life starting at age 11, which is pretty small to be working full time. And then on my mom's side, her dad, my maternal grandfather, he grew up in a communal village for Jewish refugees way up in the woods of the Laurentian Mountains, which is outside Montreal. You might have heard of Montremblant, the famous ski place. That's in the Laurentian Mountains. It's kind of like the Catskills of Montreal. Back in the early 1900s, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have running water. They definitely had a Clydesdale horse for logging work and to pull the family wagon and sled in the winter. All of the, my grandfather, high of blessed memory, all of us know the name of the horse, Big Jim, all of us grandchildren. Like my dad, like my grandfather, and the horse Big Jim, I'm bad at following rules meant to pent me up. I have my own ideas about how to do things. Often this results in injury and alienation, but that's another story. So anyways, back at my kitchen, working away, when I open my kitchen doors to at least imagine being outside as I type on my keyboard, houseflies the size of bats race in as if they've been impatiently queuing up. Once inside, I don't know why they want to be inside, but once inside, they draw these fast, tragic spirals in the air until I chase them out or find their corpses days later massacred by a window. And then with the darkness, mosquitoes make the whole thing impossible. It took me a while, being in this new house, being the first-time homeowner, it took me a while until I realized, oh, right, I need screens. But how does one get screens for patio doors that open outwards into the yard? Are there indoor screen doors? So just remember, the developer who sold me this house here in Crown Heights, he sold me the house in a finished state of bland yet luxurious renovation. You know, marble countertops, all this really nice stuff, but it's all very generic and very white. As I said, this is the first time I've ever owned anything more than a sofa or a laptop. And after, you know, so therefore after leaving my mom's house when I was 18 years old to move out to California um, in Boston, I've only been a renter. My entire adult life, making a repair or fixing or changing anything has meant emailing or calling my landlord. So here's a little bit of a vignette about this. Hours before I closed on this house in the spring, in the early spring of 2021, right when the vaccines were starting to come out, I arranged to have one of the cable duopolies here in New York install a fiber optic line because God forbid I don't have Wi-Fi. 
So this installer guy comes, nice guy, he comes and he drills a hole under the office window to thread an outdoor cable through the wall along the baseboard and into the closet. He noticed the exterior hole that he had drilled went into the metal flashing of the window outside the wall. So he just kind of, he didn't get through the masonry, he went right through the, the, the aluminum window base of it, which I guess in theory could leak. Then he noticed me noticing him noticing his hole, which was now my hole. Don't worry about it, he said. Just get your window guy to patch it up. I kept it to myself, but I felt the canyon of absence. I didn't have a window guy. In time, I learned. It was very slow, but I eventually, I think I'm still learning it, but here's the process. I have windows, so I need a window guy. I have oak floors, so I need an oak floor guy. Thanks to my friend Jesse, I found a wonderful guy. Happy to give a reference for Brooklyn. I have a roof with mounted condensers, a basement, half a dozen heat pumps, plumbing, toilets, a dishwasher, a microwave, and an oven. I have a clothes washer and a dryer, a water heater. There's masonry and dry hall, drywall everywhere. There's a yard. There's a stoop. I have electricity. All of these things need a guy. And here's a fun fact. Half the stuff I just mentioned broke in the first six months, and that is not an exaggeration. So many things broke or just never worked right or I don't know. And But now I think they're mostly working. So eventually, after you realize all this stuff, I came to another realization that you have probably already figured out because you're, you're at step ahead usually. The answer is you don't need all those guys. Okay, the microwave motherboard replacement, you need a guy. But otherwise, you are the guy. You must be the guy. Or more like the little kid, since there's no way one person can be grown up smart enough to fix all these things. The moment the closing happens, or in the hours before in this case for me, you need to gain a massive amount of knowledge in absolutely no time at all. It's absolutely crazy. So for Jews who are listening to this, um, let me put it like this, but I, I don't mean to say it like that. It, let me just explain it and then I'll explain the Jewish stuff in a second. So you need to transition when in dealing with all this homeownership nonsense, you need to transition from being the wicked child to the child who doesn't know how to ask to the simple child. And finally, if you're really lucky to the wise child, you'll just get a few moments of this. Not, it won't, it won't be permanent. And you have to do it right now. The basement's flooding. A smoke detector is going off at two in the morning. The dishwasher just made a very strange sound and stopped working. The, the fridge is making crazy noises too. And uh, if you can't afford the mortgage payments, you won't be evicted. You'll be financially ruined for life. No, you can't call anyone for help. Go. So it seems like an exaggeration, I know, but not 100%. So the wise child, this is from the Passover Seder, the dinner party we have for Passover, the spring holiday. The wise child says, what does this story mean to me? I have to do the work, is the answer or at least talk about it in a halfway intelligent way, or at least drill holes into things that I can't easily patch. So I'll just explain a little bit. During the Passover Seder, this kind of dinner party, we read like a booklet. We've been doing this for thousands of years. It's called the Haggadah, the telling. And there's a very famous passage in the Haggadah, in this book that we read, and there are about four children that are, just, that are grappling with the story. 
and the wicked child rejects, doesn't want to have anything to do with the story. The silent child doesn't know how to ask a question. The simple child just says, what is this? And the wise child takes responsibility for telling the story and for what it means to him or to her. So anyways, my patio screens. I wanted screens so I could have the kitchen door, the kitchen patio doors open and keep out the giant flies and the vampiric mosquitoes. But it turns out I couldn't just buy screens for my window manufacturer and have some big man install them. That would be way too easy. The manufacturer for the patio doors doesn't make screen doors. They make glass doors and windows, which all need screens, but for some reason, they don't make screens. <laughs> I don't know why. It'd be so much easier if they did. So since I'm in a city house, things are kind of tight. The kitchens, it seems big, but the dimensions are a little tight. And um, I had already installed these shades on the door, so I, didn't ha I had even less space to work with. There was really no way to put in these retractable screen doors. And they're kind of cool. I can explain them some other time, but basically they wouldn't fit. And I had learned that there were such a thing at these and I, I got a referral and I had two different guys come out and I got all these quotes and for four figure sums and, but they couldn't even do it because there wasn't enough room. So now what do I do? So I still want the screens. I still have no screens. There's so much time has gone by. So with the unavoidable help from the internet search monopoly you may be familiar with, I found a manufacturer online mosquitocurtains.com. That's what they're that's what they are. More like really if you think about it, it should be curtainsagainstmosquitoes.com, but that's okay. So I could buy these kind of like curtains that are panels of fabric made of this fine woven netting. And the two curtain panels click together in the middle with magnets that kind of makes like a wall that you can retract uh, as you like. So it's these really like well put together curtains is the idea. And there's a track above, they go back and forth. And there are even, if you could think of a curtains kind of hang loosely on a window, on the exterior part of the curtains, that would be, because uh, it's uh, like a French door situation on the outsides, you can snap them. You can install the snaps and you can snap them to the frame. So it's really like kind of this like wall of curtain that you can move. It's, it's a clever idea. But of course, I just found this out on a website and which is full of pictures and words but not, I'm not in a neighborhood store with some kindly person with experience who can explain any of this to me. It turns out you have to uh, choose what you want and you have to measure, 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 and send them all of your, your measurements. And then it'll work great, assuming that you do it correctly. So in this case, it's like, what does this mosquito screen mean to you? The wicked child asks. After many, many measurements, several emails to the company, three different incorrect website orders that was their fault. They kept on putting in different things and colors and things that didn't make any sense. I finally went through it all, corrected it. They agreed, we're great. A week later, a delivery guy, another guy, drops off a seven foot tall cardboard tube and a very heavy rectangular cardboard box. So I moved them to a corner of my dining room and they sat there for weeks. Not a lot of people come over my house, but the few people who did come over I don't think they noticed them, but I have this thing about things piling up in the corners. It's bad. You don't have anything in the wrong place for more than a few minutes, like not in the sink. Uh, chairs are designed for your tush, not for clothing or books. You get the idea. I know it makes me sound crazy, but I'm just tidy like that. But then they started to taunt me. Go ahead, they scolded. 
See if you can assemble us. I dare you. So I ignored them. Never give in to pressure. You know, I'm just going to do my own thing. But one day I found myself a little bit too much free time, which happens when you work for yourself. And the gravity of an unkempt corner and the badgering of the objects pushed me too far. So I taunted them back with my best Massachusetts grammar. Let's go see if I can't open and assemble you. I watched many, many how-to websites, how-to videos on the website owned by the same search engine monopolist. And after many, many repeat viewings, I had a fuzzy idea of how to set this thing up. Could I hire a handyman to assemble these curtains? Yes. But that handyman would have to puzzle out the kit the same way I was puzzling out the kit. Because it's not just like regular curtains like from Ikea or Home Depot or something. These are like very, very specific. And what's the difference? He'd, he could fool around with it or I could fool around with it. Could MosquitoCurtains.com, which should be CurtainsAgainstMosquitoes.com, could they send a guy maybe who knows what he's doing and help me? And I could add him to my gender-specific harem of house repair specialists? No, they couldn't. I asked, but they couldn't. So I opened the seven-foot tube. It's like a container containing a poster for a giant teenager's bedroom and the very heavy box. Like, this is a very heavy box. I let out the parts they contained on my white marble counter, which has very few countertop appliances because you shouldn't have too many of this. There are these two long rectangular fabric panels, fiberglass rods that I needed to cut, sand, and burn for some reason, there was a metal rail that I had to trim with a hacksaw that I didn't have. Uh, and the, this rail had to be marked and drilled. Um, there were all these plastic bags full of heavy-duty marine snaps, which are the snaps thing. They need to be drilled into the wall and then stapled somehow to the fabric edges. There were a lot of high-strength magnets, a bunch of plastic clips, scores of curtain gliders, and various tools. I watched the video on the um, internet behemoth website a few more times. And then finally, I felt it. Fuck these motherfuckers. The music starts pumping. The spotlights are zooming around the room. Ladies and gentlemen, booms a voice. Welcome to the President Street fight. In this corner, weighing in at what we hope remains 150 pounds and would honestly be better at 140 is Zachary Thatcher. In the other corner, with over 10,000 pieces and several sharp objects, we have mosquito curtains. Now fight! The bell gongs. I race in and throw a right, a left. I'm sawing into my marble counters and drilling on wood cutting boards. Things are looking good. I'm making progress and damaging some things, but it's cool. And then I realized two critical pieces are missing. I checked the many, many items again on my counter. I watched more of these internet behemoth videos. I, I even slowed down the video, replayed it, took a little screen grab of it. The fight was now over. I was now in deep forensic mode. Yep, the two important pieces that were in the instructions and in the videos were not on my kitchen counter. I was pretty sure I was right. You don't really know, but I'm pretty sure I was right. And I emailed the company. The guy emails me back. They agreed. I was right. They're missing. And this is victory, right? I figured it out. But if you're keeping score, it means I've also made no progress, but my intellectual abilities have been validated. And so this is a very important thing for me. All right. So I wait for the pieces to show up. No, I couldn't pre-assemble the rest of the curtains without these two pieces. You're so silly to try and be all efficient about this. I had thought about continuing the work long and hard, seriously, while lying in bed at night. I was really consumed with this, but I came to the comforting conclusion that the missing items were critical early stage pieces. So 
now time has passed. I was totally wrong. But at the time, if you were to bring in a psychoanalyst and if she were to listen to me for a few months while charging me the price of a used car or a new car, we'd realize that it was actually, like I said, comforting to have an excuse to avoid the work. Boxing is scary. All right, so then the parts arrived. My online calendar, which is so funny, it's owned by the same monopoly that controls the search engine and the video website, showed me a free column of time. So now there were no boxing match metaphors with bright lights, no hip hop remix of Hava Nagila to introduce me. Assembling the curtains became a march into darkness. It would take me to dangerous terrain I could only imagine. I was scared. I really was scared. I had no flashlight. My compass didn't work. My shoes were falling apart. Mosquitoes were plotting against me. I was thirsty. I was tired. But the only way to survive was forward. So I started over. I took a hacksaw I had bought from a local hardware store to recut the metal track. Now, by now, I had learned to put down more mats on my marble counter so I didn't deeply scratch them by doing this. But the track kept on jerking around every time I'm trying to saw it. So a person to hold it on the other end would have really helped, or maybe if I owned a vice or if I was actually at a proper work table, that would have done the trick. But I don't have a workspace. And if I did in my house, and if I did, I wouldn't really know how to use it with all those tools hanging up and everything. And honestly, more importantly, it was better for me to be alone. I didn't want to discuss my assembly plans with a friend or a lover, plans barely formed in my mind, plans with a tenuous connection to physics and logic, plans that start discussions that spark arguments that incinerate relationships. I think you know what I'm talking about. So I watched more of the videos, accomplished a few tasks, watched more of videos, and somewhat completed a few more tasks. All right. I was scared, like I said. Now I'm frustrated. I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. I'm full of loathing. I'm furious. I felt diminished. I felt lonely. I felt like a child in a thunderstorm. I had all the feelings a man my age has who keeps bad thoughts under a vast and injurious pressure deep inside him. Instead of just saying, I want to cry. I'm not a violent person, so I didn't smash anything. I mostly criticized myself, which is the same self-destructive reflex as breaking an item you love. Just picture this, my friend. There is stuff all over my kitchen. I have all these tools all over the floor and all over the counters. Seriously, there's like a thousand pieces to these curtains and they're all everywhere. I'm drilling holes in things. I really need water. It's been two hours and my pockets are full of stuff. I probably have a drill bit in my mouth. I had used a seam knife. I had used a plastic drinking straw, really, and a hammer. While doing all this, I thought of my maternal grandfather, Chaim Lazar Vazek, the man from the mountains outside Montreal. He was born in Odessa and went through Ellis Island as a small child. He never finished high school. He, he probably didn't even go. English was not his first language. Yiddish was the mamalotion, the mother tongue. As uneducated and rural as he was, he taught himself how to be an x-ray technician in New York when he faked his way in New York City as an engineer and entrepreneur. When I was 13, I asked him what he had done special for his bar mitzvah in Lamakaza, the mountain, his mountain hamlet. He thought about it a moment. We ate a chicken. I did a few more steps for assembling these things. Now I needed two types of wrenches and a gigantic claw-like metal tool for the marine snaps and two pieces of colored chalk. I thought of my father. We have a more mysterious relationship than I did with my grandfather of blessed memory, who I never really knew as a man I was 20 when he died and I was living out in California. He was in the Bronx. But my dad and I, that's a relationship I know a lot about. It's hot and loving and challenging. 
it's often like whiskey. It's good at the right times, helps make life joyous, but it can kill you if you're not careful. Well, that's what it's like in the earlier years. Honestly, those feelings don't linger as much. What we have now is love, and it's really not that complicated anymore. For him, for Fred, as a young man, he was punctured by two years of combat medic duty in the Central Highlands of Vietnam. Over there, as a young man, 20 years old, he had learned how to maintain and fire weapons, and he practiced field medicine. I'll spare you the grisly details, but let's just say hacksaws were involved. And when he came back to the USA, he taught himself how to repair cars. He could grind valves and fix engines and do all these other things I don't understand. Here's another little, little vignette about that. At age 16, I was deep in my alternative skate punk phase. My parents were divorced. My dad took me on a night drive in the suburbs to a parking lot. He said he wanted to teach me how to drive stick shift. It requires working with your feet and hands at the same time in careful coordination. That's when he was noticing I was wearing John Fluvog Creeper platform shoes that were popular at the time. I still think they're cool. So for the next few hours, in this parking lot, in the suburbs, in the dark, he yells in my ear, Clutch! Now gas! Now clutch! The car lurches and stalls. I slam on the brakes. Sort of smells like something is burning. My left foot is trying to ease off the left pedal and never touched the middle pedal, since when are there three pedals in a car, while my right foot was gently pressing on the right pedal. It was not possible. Gas! He yelled into my right ear. Clutch! Now shift! Eventually, I got the car into first and then maybe second, possibly. After a bunch of this, he took over and dropped me off at my mother's house in Newton. A week later, we drove up to Maine where he had a work meeting and we're coming from the Boston area. This is a true story. We get out of the car and then he announces, ah, I need to stay all day. He tossed me the keys and told me to drive home myself. And this is way before GPS. So 30 years later, I've only ever owned a manual transmission car. I love every minute of it. Everybody who knows me knows how crazy I am about manual transmissions. And my dad is a madman, but he knows there's a wisdom in treating fear like a mosquito, an annoyance to swat. By hour three, working in my kitchen, alone, in the silence, I was ready to hand myself over to the damn bloodsuckers. Inserting the fiberglass rods into the panels was totally impossible. I had made cuts in the fabric that were jagged and pockmarked. I was burning things and drilling holes in places that did not seem right. The magnets weren't lining up, but with effort and time, the pieces slowly merged together to form a larger picture. I still felt fear and anger and intimidation, but it was a little less now. It was more like a worrying rattle when there should have been a steady, confident hum. After four hours, I'm not kidding, I had noted my start time, the sunlight had shifted its angles across my walls. I had resawed and then drilled the upper metal track into the top of the door frame, but at a 45 degree angle since the wood frame is narrower than the track, and I figured that out myself. After using tin snips for shears, a metal file, and a lighter, I had trimmed and smoothed the ends of the seven foot long fiberglass rods, which I then threaded through the curtain ends. I added the magnets so you can neatly snap shut the curtains. I drilled in marine snaps along the borders of the far side of each of the French doors so the curtains would stay in place when shut, like how you might snap down a tarp. I threaded plastic glides to the curtain track. It was over. I stepped back. Yellow chalk stained the borders where I had marked slots for the magnets, as instructed, so they're kind of dirty looking, 
And now I look and I see that the curtains are at least two inches, way too long. They're spilling over the floor like J. Alfred Prufrock's unrolled trousers. Had I installed something wrong? Was the track too low? I checked and rechecked. No, the factory had cut the damn curtain panels too long. All right, I could deal with that later, maybe get a tailor. I tried clipping them back with those black metal file clips like from an office, that didn't look right. All right, I just stopped and I went to the next step. I pulled the curtains closed. The magnets didn't snick together. They weren't close enough. The panel were too far like apart. It turns out, I looked and looked and looked, I had drilled the marine snaps in the far edges too far away, just by a couple of inches, but enough that the whole thing didn't work out. And it turns out curtains with magnets, this is a good tip for you if you're doing this, curtains with magnets need some slack to work properly. They can't be as tight as a drum. Um, curtain guys know this, uh, but it's news to me as a curtained infant. So what do I do? I contacted Curtains Against Mosquitoes to confirm that they had incorrectly cut the curtains too long and that to confirm that my marine snaps were indeed too far apart. By now I had renamed the company Curtains Against Zachary. An email response said, yes, the curtains are too long. So what do I have to do? I take it all apart. I spent an hour then taking the subway and standing in line at one of the delivery duopolies to mail back the curtains. The third delivery from Curtains Against Humanity arrived. I unfolded them and noticed that they hadn't washed off the yellow and red chalk marks I hadn't been able to get out with dish soap. Okay, so it's not exactly full service. Now I needed to rehang the curtains, see if they're the proper length, remove and re-drill the snap male ends, or maybe they were female. I actually never figured that out. For snaps, gender is definitely a construct. I threaded the gliders in the track. The panels now hung too high. <laughs> this is true. The snaps didn't line up anymore. The curtains weren't even touching the ground. They must have tailored the panels wrong. What can customer service do for you? The evil child asks. So naturally, I send an inflamed email to the company. By now, I'm on a first name basis with the help guy who, to his credit, never lost his cool while I was the temperature of an internal combustion engine driven by a teenager. Before he responded, I realized this is going to shock you. I was the one who had made the mistake, not some other guy, this guy right here. I removed a few curtain gliders and voila, the curtains now hung correctly. I noticed a missing magnet that had previously been there, but that's small stuff. Over the next half hour, I drilled many more holes in previously unblemished, perfectly nice wood door frames so I could now adjust the snaps that I had mistakenly done wrong. I removed and replaced items, I used a sponge and water, I smoothed creases and worked the track. I took a few steps back to look. My anxiety uncoiled and drifted like smoke to other parts of the house I needed to fix and didn't yet understand. The curtain wall stood firm. I emailed the company, more gently but without apology for being a tad over the top in my previous communications because hell no, never apologize until it's way too late and you're so full of remorse you feel like a terrible human being. They agreed to send the missing magnet. When it arrives, instead of fear and denial and being so overwhelmed it feels like drowning, I'll cut a hole in the fabric with my little seam knife, insert the magnet, line it up, use a lighter to melt the netting and seal that hole. I won't need four boys to walk me through it. I'll be the guy. Thank you so much for listening. That was a really fun one. Uh, if you want to subscribe, you can 
do their podcast thing, or you can also go to zacharythatcher.substack.com and get these occasional essays into your inbox. Thank you again. I hope you have a good day. I hope you don't have to fix anything that doesn't make any sense. Or if you do, I hope you have the tenacity to get through it. Take care. Bye.